Hello again, guys. Uh, we're here for episode three. I'm here with uh, my good friend, Mr. Jefferson. Uh, I won't attempt to pronounce your middle name so I don't butcher it. Onze Manga, if I didn't butcher the last name, I think it's du- Duvel. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's, that's pretty close. That's pretty Okay, close. okay. Yeah, it's, that's exactly what I tell my professors after they butcher my last name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty close. Close enough, you know. Yeah, it's it's Duvel, which is close enough to Duvel. So. Oh, okay, okay. So the L is silent. Yeah, okay. it, it turns into like almost like a year sound. Okay. 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 Cool. Cool. Um, um, Jefferson is uh, is a software developer. He's a part-time model. He's a real estate investor. He's an investor in other things. He's a money manager. He loans money. He's a day trader. He's did I miss anything? <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you introduce yourself. <laughs> That's crazy. Like you went through the whole list, man. You have to you have to let the people have some mystery, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll let like you give a quick intro yourself real quick. But but yeah, you did a pretty good job on that. And I am a software developer by trade. So that's what I do professionally. Uh, I do uh, real estate investments. At least I'm starting to I do trade uh, in the options market and stock market. I part-time model. I don't know if I call myself a model. I think I just, uh, what is it called? I like to wear, uh, play dress up, you know, okay. with, the camera. <laughs> with the camera. So that's, that's, that's pretty much the whole list. Uh, I try to, to also help other people through my like loan business that I give out loans. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. I was uh, reading that uh, Voyage article that's on your page. It was like really, really insightful. I feel like I, I knew most of the stuff in there, but it's still like a little, tidbit here and there that I learned and it was like, oh yeah, so that's that's how that started. Okay, that's interesting. Like how did how did that come about? Like did they reach out to you or how did that happen? Yeah, interesting enough, I received an email and it was from this girl named Kristen from Voyage. She said, oh, they're doing like a like an expose slash article on uh like interesting figures in the Dallas area. And I was recommended and I was recommended by one of my friends. His name is Neil. You know, shout out to Neil. But it was unexpected because I, I wasn't like waiting for something like that. But yeah, so Neil had recommended me. And so I went ahead and did the interview with them and gave them everything they needed. And they wrote the article. But yeah, so it, it works through like recommendation. Somebody recommends you. Oh, okay. You, get, you mm-hmm. get featured on there. Cool, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Like I was thinking... I don't know if you've. Uh, I, I don't like to assume if you that you've listened to the first episode, just like yesterday too. Um, my whole idea for this was like, okay, I was going to try and find uh, people who are like into a lot of different fields, and they would be like the model, the model um, guests for the show as mm-hmm. aspiring polymaths, quote unquote. So I was thinking, like, who do I know? Who do I know that's into a lot of things? And you're one of. The, I, I think I was. I was thinking, 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 and. I don't remember what finally led me to you, but I was like, oh, wow, yeah, that that is true. Like, he does this, he does that, he does this, he does this. He's like, it's like five or six different things. And I was like, okay, yeah, you definitely you definitely have to come on the show for sure. Like, yeah, that's, that's not even negotiable. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try my best. Uh, I, I'm, I'm under belief that if, if you stop doing things, you're kind of like just ready to die, you know? Like, you got to keep doing things while you're alive so sometimes people pick one thing they want to do and they just do it and get good at it i get bored easily 
So I try to pick a couple of things that I can do well and then just do them the best I can. So I don't yeah. get bored. Yeah. Like um, yesterday, we kind of, um, we kind of got uh, distracted from our topic yesterday for this very reason, because we were talking about um, how like there's an argument to be made that you could, you could do all of those things at a competitive level, like with very high proficiency. There's no, there's no reason why you necessarily have to let some of them suffer in order to do all of them per se. And it's, I don't know. I wish, I wish, uh, Maybe we're recording this at a different time because I, I just recorded that yesterday. It's going to be up uh, by tomorrow morning. So nobody would have gotten a chance, or at least you wouldn't have gotten a chance to listen to it yet to really uh, understand what I mean when I say we're getting into this yesterday. But it really, <laughs> it was really interesting. Like we started out, like the whole thing, our topic was supposed to be about music and activism and music. And mm. by the time we Don't realized- get me started on activism. Topic, <laughs> don't get me started yeah. on activism because oh yeah okay you get into that too <laughs> yeah like i mean i've always been passionate about about you know being who i am and being african period uh in some circles will call me one africa because i've i've really not believed in an african with borders right i believe that we're all one people and when one of us suffers we all suffer so yeah that one, that one is pretty dear to me so I, I, I heard that recently. Was was that at uh, Kyosha's party? Is that where I heard that? Or, yeah, or that's the, yeah. When I I think I was talking about it with somebody, and and you know, obviously, there's always some of us that are strongly in a belief of where they come from. You know, like if I'm Nigerian, yeah. it's all about like Nigeria. If I'm Congolese, it's all about Congo. But you know, I take that into consideration. But I also believe that as a Congolese person, if Nigeria is suffering, I can't sit there and say, "Oh, well, Congo is going through it too." No, I have to, you know, also help because when my Nigerian brothers and sisters suffer, I'm suffering. When I'm suffering, they're suffering. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, at, at some point, we have to kind of realize that the borders, the borders are in place, or in a way, imaginary. Like they're all, they're all yep. constructs that somebody came up with, and not even, not even self-determined constructs. It's not even most African countries, at least. I don't want to say all in case I'm missing a few outliers, but most African countries did not decide on their own borders as they are currently. Ab- so it's absolutely. Like, the point of obsessing over them? Absolutely. Never really made sense to me. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's that's one thing we can totally agree on. It's like we didn't we didn't set these things. We didn't set these boundaries. We didn't set these these protocols. We didn't say, oh, you know, Nigeria begins here and ends here. We didn't say Congo begins here and ends here. Somebody else who does not look like us came over there and decided, you know what, this is what you guys should look like. And it's, it's a, it's a very weird thing to see, but it's, it's what's happened. So we can't really dwell on it. We can only kind of look forward and see what we can do to, to fix that situation. So. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, I haven't, I don't remember if I have or not, but it, I always wonder how did they come up with those shapes? Like how did we end up with the shape of Nigeria? For Like some other countries, it seems more, it seems almost uniform. Like if you look at a country like um, maybe Republic of Benin or Cote d'Ivoire, even like it seems somewhat uniform, somewhat straight lines a little bit. But if you look at a country like Nigeria, it's like who drew this and why? Like where? How did they arbitrarily come up with the shape of this thing? Like were they were they drawing lines around certain landmarks or minerals or how in God's name did they come up with this? It's 
very fascinating. Yeah, it, stuff. I've always wondered it's about basically it. like it's basically like uh, I mean, if you look at the history of Unilever, who was like basically the Niger company. Yeah. So it was kind of like when a company landed there, right? They landed in a certain area and decided, you know what, this part looks nice. We want it, right? And then other people landed in a different spot. They said like, oh, this part looks nice. We want it. And then they meet one day. They're like, you know what? We could, you know, make more money if the two of us, and this is not counting the people that already live in that area, but we talk about it in the business sense. Of yeah, the amalgamation. Talking yeah. About. Yeah. They're like, oh, you know, these two areas, you have these resources. We have these resources. If you put our heads together, you know, we can make a much, we can make more money. So then they come together into one Nigeria, like this, you know, like in the, the Bernard Boys song. Yeah. Yeah. I know the story. In Nigeria. So they didn't do it because of the people that are living there. They yeah. Their business oh, yeah, of course. point of view. And so that's how you end up with these, you know, borders with people that don't speak the same languages, that don't believe in the same things, that have very cultural differences. Because they didn't do it because of the people. They did it because of the, the amount of money they could make, the ease of travel, uh, trade routes and stuff like that. And same thing in the Congo, you know. We have two Congos, which you're, I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. Uh, we have the public. Public. Well, most of the central part of the bigger Congo, which is the Democratic Republic, right? The west side, west side of it, and the Congolese people from my Congo, and the Gabonese people, and the Angolans are all part of the Bantu people, for example. And then when they came, the French, you know, landed on the the border or like on the river, the Congolese River, where they were like, you know what, this is Congo now, the Republic of Congo. That's how it was founded. But then you had Belgian explorers who landed in the democratic oh, yeah. Congo, on the other side of the river and they decided that became their congo the belgian congo but even though these people and me we speak the same languages have the same cultures right we are one people but yet we're divided into two different countries so the opposite happened in nigeria where they basically turned you know like people that were not you know not the same people they decided to put them all in one place and so yeah, basically build point, a country going on in Nigeria. Yep. Like, so it's the kind of like an experiment that they're trying to do, but they didn't really do it for the people. They did it for their money. So that's how you end up with, in my opinion, that's how you end up with these borders and these weird shapes and, and countries that are in constant turmoil within themselves because all the deals that happened there were business deals and not, and not like for the people. Yeah, some some would argue even like there's like another dimension to it, like beyond uh, beyond coming together for common business interests. There's like there's an there's a how do I put it? There's a motivation to keep the countries in tor turmoil, like you said. Like keeping them together keeps them basically in constant flux in chaos. Um, in an instance of that is like doing the Biafran War, the Nigerian Civil War, or you might call it um, to be more exact. Um, how European powers were basically taking sides, and some had England, for instance, wanted Nigeria to stay. The British Empire wanted Nigeria to stay, remain one country for whatever reason that they had on their end. Um, I believe the French and uh, in, with uh, Charles de Gaulle and uh, the Portuguese mm -hmm. were supporting. Um, by Afra. And in Europe, it's like, yeah, they have some friction, but we're not at war. We're fine. And in Nigeria, they're fighting this proxy war where they're supplying either side with weapons, um, mm -hmm. food, munitions, any kind of uh, support that they could offer. 
And it's you have to wonder, like, why? What what interest you have in this region? Why why is England interested in keeping the country together? Why are the Portuguese and the French? What are they betting on exactly to happen if Biafra su- successfully splits from Nigeria or secedes? I should say. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting thing that when you get the politics of it, because that story, that history, has happened all across uh, the African continent. The same story happened in Angola, in the Congo. Exactly, the I was just thinking of and Angola. So, so you know, it's 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 like the same playbook they've been using for for a while, you know, and it's been successful for them, so that's why they keep using it. But it's become more and more difficult now as technology has evolved and the youth are kind of tired of it, and we see through their BS, you know. So, you know, on a political sense, you can go back and dissect all of these things, and you're like, God, they really did a number on this continent, right? And and it's it's even worse because our own people have been brainwashed to the point where we don't notice it. We're so focused on things that, in my opinion, are are so useless and baseless that we don't see the true issue and yeah. fix it. You know, and so man, the politics that we can we can have the whole, this whole episode be about like <laughs> African politics and and the European influence on 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 the African continent, and <laughs> and we'll have to have a whole another episode about other things. So yeah. yeah. It's something that that we definitely and if you written you know, when you read my article, you can kind of see what I'm trying to do to to kind of fix this problem or help my my people kind of set themselves free, you know. Yeah. And by so, the way, if you want uh, people to read the article, um, you can um, I don't know, you can mention your handle for Instagram so they can check it out, or if there's some keyword or whatever they can use to search it up on Voyage. I'm still setting up my social media stuff, so I don't really have a place to put all this stuff yet. But you can yeah. Yeah, no yeah my, my instagram is at mr underscore misunderstood so that's at mr underscore m one under s t o zero d because okay. somebody else already took like mr understood <laughs> spelled properly so uh and even in the in the show notes whenever you post it on uh oh like, yeah, 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 yeah yeah you yeah, can yeah, actually right. you can actually show it on there yeah. yeah, so I was gonna point out too because every time I try searching your name, I swear I always forget the misunderstood yeah. it has numbers in it every time. Yeah, it's every it's, time. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm gonna try to see. Like I try to check it every so often, see if the other person who has the angle <laughs> has let let it go. So because it used to be even worse, they used to have like two zeros and a and a three in there. So yeah. it's getting better. It's getting better. But I yeah, like in the uh, article, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go on, go on, go on. That was just a random thought. Go on. <laughs> like in the article, you know, it talks about like Bantu and Ukwaji, right? Like yeah. I'm trying to create an environment where, because the thing about Africa right now, while we're kind of slowing down is because there's no democratized private sector, you know? I want to take Nigeria, for example, because one of my launching areas was Nigeria and Ghana. Now, I'm not Nigerian, so all the Nigerians listening might be like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, I've done my research in Nigeria. So let's use Nigeria because whether anybody likes it or not, Nigeria is Afri- will, should be Africa's first superpower. Yeah, it you know, be. Population-wise, you know, 230 million people, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's as, it has evolved so much faster than some other countries. You know, South Africa is doing great, but I think Nigeria is is really where the the heart of Africa is. And after that, you have like Democratic Republic of Congo because it has the world's 
largest deposit of coal resources. Tent, yeah, we can get yeah, to that not later. Just that even, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so in Nigeria, for example, uh, like getting business started, it's so difficult. You have to know somebody. You have to know somebody higher up because all of the richer businessmen have have been working with the the, the not really necessarily by choice, but you have a bunch of like regulators that know, for example, not to F with Dangote, you know? Oh, did so, you see that video? Did you watch that video? Yes. And, uh, <laughs> that's and I was like, I was like, this is the kind of stuff I've been talking to my friends about for ages. Yeah. They know not to not to F with, you know, uh Adeleke. They know not to F with certain people, right? Yeah. And so then they will go F with the smaller guys. And those guys will go out of business because the regulators are not giving them any any leeway. So yeah. The idea of Ukwaji was basically to alleviate that because we know these people, we know the regulators, we know, you know, like earlier this year, we were supposed to have, you know, like a call or a meeting with uh, the minister of the Bank of Industries of Nigeria, right? So we can kind of like start building that network of higher up members in the government, in the, in the banking industry in Nigeria. So that way that whenever people come onto our platform with their business ideas, you know, to get help from us through investments and stuff, they don't have to worry about who they need to know, right? Yeah. They just have to worry about getting their business on there. We worry about who they need to know. We take care of that. They get financial backing through investments and that's money directly to the people, to the entrepreneurs and yeah. they do their business. So it's democratizing the way people invest in Nigeria, in Ghana, and hopefully the rest of Africa where you don't have to worry about the money going through a government, you know, having to know government uh, regulators and entities and know somebody in government to get your plan across because yeah. we are taking care of that. So that's one way I think we can alleviate that problem and kind of democratize the, the investment, uh, uh, what you call it. What was the name of uh, your company again, just for the listeners? It, it's called Ukwaji, which is, uh, which is the word growth in Swahili. By the way, you guys can find that in the in the Voyage article. Yep, well. precisely, yeah. precisely. That, that's a really good, really good, very helpful angle because one thing, I don't know, most, if you're not from Nigeria, probably don't know this, but even I grew up in Nigeria, sometimes I, I hear some of this stuff that sounds normal to people there and it's like, what what even is this? You have to pay the tax duty, this duty, that duty. Mm-hmm. Like even if you're like, even if you're like rent at your landlord and you're renting out a place or something, I think you have to pay duties on that too. It's like, how do people even keep track of all these things? Exactly. So much runaway bureaucracy is ridiculous. I don't even understand how any one person, any normal person on the street is able to keep track of all this. It's almost like you're necessarily going to be in violation of one thing or the exactly. other. And that allows those regulators to do what to do what they want to do, basically, which is extort people. Precisely. Precisely. And they do that because you're too small. But if you get a company like ours, you know, we're going to have some financial backing, you know, and then we're going to try to get some political allies, which we have a couple so far, right? When we get to a point where they can't just come and tell us, oh, you know, this member of your, of your, no, these people that are adding their companies on your business, they're like, you know, not, they're in violation of certain laws. Then we can be like, you know what? You need to go check with your higher ups because we've already gone through this. We've got the paperwork for it. And, you know, they have exemptions or any of that. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure we can kind of alleviate that pain from the entrepreneurs because, man, Nigeria has some of the brightest, brightest people. You know, I've, 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 
through my my project, I've been able to talk to and and try to connect with people that are like very intelligent. We're talking, you know, engineers that are building technology that, you know, we think is like something that's going to come in the next hundred years, but they're already working on it now, you know. Yeah. But they have no exposure. They have they don't know where to go. They they have no money to help their ideas across. So that's that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, untapped talent in Africa in general, mm-hmm. it's, and it's just it's sad, especially in a place like Nigeria. Like this, this tackles one of the biggest issues with starting a business in Nigeria. There are a couple others, like mm-hmm. um, the larger corruption issue. Even though this is a subset of that issue, um, electricity. Like I was just seeing um, today a video of um, an electric car Hyundai was debuting in Nigeria, and I'm like, that's great, but. <laughs> if I lived in Nigeria, if I lived in Nigeria and I bought this, where would How I, will I charge it? my car? That <laughs> <laughs> is funny because it's like, how are you guys like the government? The government is trying to paint this as a win, like, oh yeah, look at this, look at this, but you haven't fixed the electricity problem in a long time. It's almost like it's not even. I don't know. It's it's sad. Like we're still using hydroelectric dams that have been around since since the early '60s. Even before that, I think I think at least one of them, Kanji Dam, at least was built before that or around that time. Anyways, so this this is like wow. I used to say forty years back in the day, but this is going. This is sixty years. It's going on sixty years now. Those dams have been our major source of power. You know what the most incredible thing is that there is literally we can there can be a a hydro dam built in the center of Africa that can power literally half the country, half of the countries on the continent. Yeah. On the Congolese River. I know that sad part is like whenever they um privatize part of when they privatize part of the power industry, we could see that there are areas of Lagos, for instance, where people basically um don't now don't quote me on this. I haven't actually lived in Lagos in a long time, but I hear, at least from my parents and other people, that they basically have almost uninterrupted electricity. Huh. So it can be done. Well. Mm-hmm. It can be done. It's not that it can't be done, it's just incompetence or willful corruption in the government's part that's it's preventing both. it from, from happening. Not even or. Not even or. It's both. It's incompetence and willful ignorance. You know, willful corruption. It's both. No, it's so like, because at the end of the day, right, we can, a lot of countries are corrupt, right? But they can be competent enough where the people that, that are living in that country don't even understand the corruption of the country. You know, we yeah. live in a, right now we live in the U.S. It's a very corrupt nation. <laughs> right but we don't really yeah. care about it because we got 24-hour energy we can find jobs you know we can go to school we don't care too much about it you know yeah. so i think it's like you said you know it's, it's a competence they're, they're all, not only are they uh willfully corrupt they're also incompetent so it shows their corruption you know yeah so, it's but, i don't know it's a, it's a sad story but uh <laughs> like you said maybe let's let's uh delve into that some more another another episode yeah, definitely yeah definitely. yeah my idea is i don't really want to be i don't really want to be restricting these episodes i want them to be organic i want them to kind of go yeah, with the flow of where we go while still trying to touch on the things that we wanted to touch on maybe uh yesterday we didn't do such a good job of that we're probably like 40 minutes in, we realize we haven't said anything about music. So I said, okay, we'll, do, we'll just leave it for next weekend. We'll talk about music next weekend. And we went another 20 minutes. But um, yeah, what are you saying? That's how the mind That's how the mind works now. You know, you talk about certain things and you just realize, hey, this, 
the conversation just keeps moving towards other things and you carry on. So, yeah, I'll, before I even forget, I was, that reminds me, I was going to say something about Uganda. When you, well, no, not Uganda, Angola. When you mentioned Angola earlier, like Angola is a wonderful example of what we were talking about earlier, what uh, European powers were able to mm-hmm. do in the structuring of that country and the corruption that came that came about as a result. I didn't really know that much about it until there's this uh, book I read. The main reason why I wanted to mention is I wanted to mention the book. It's called, uh, you might have read it, it's called um, The Looting Machine. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful book that touches on Angola and Nigeria specifically amongst other African countries. And it's the similarities are insane. This, it was just mm-hmm. a lot of similarities between both. So it, it just shows the common thread that's running across African nations that are basically sabotaged even before the country had a chance to get on its feet. But um, I just wanted to put that out there. If anybody wants to read it, it's called The Looting Machine. I don't remember who it's by, but if you just look on Amazon or something, you should be able to find it. Yeah, man. Uh, Anything that involves the British, the French, and the Portuguese, just know it's a looting machine, man. The, the, yeah, the, British, the British a little bit better than the French, I'm going to be honest with you. Really? Every col- yeah, every colony of the of the British does better than the French. The French are just man. I don't want to use these words, but they're just okay. Now, now they are. Now they are right. Because um, when I when when I read about colonial history, typically even in the Americas here with uh, Native Americans, the French seem to have a better reputation for dealing with natives. Yeah, but then after the colonization, they got mad and they just destroyed everything and they just decided they're going to sabotage all their former colonies. So that's what I'm saying. So the French came in with like, oh, we're cool with the natives, but they never really did that for the natives. They did that out of spite of the British. Oh, yeah, that's so, a good point. So, you know, when they were fine with the natives, it was so the natives can help them fight off the British and take over the yeah. British colonies. After the the natives helped them, if the if the French had won, Trust me, they would oh, yeah, like survive. the French Indian Wars and yeah. So year. yeah, if you look at all these colonies, anywhere the French stepped foot got screwed up big time. Name me a successful French colony, you wouldn't. Yeah, they keep them down. Um, they, I mean, England does similar things, but more more covert. Whereas yep, with France, it's almost it's almost amazing that some of the things that they do don't don't make it to French based news. I mean, I'm sure it's not an accident. But I have a friend, she's um she's Ivorian, and some of the things she told me about stuff that's happened in Cote d'Ivoire, it's mm-hmm. amazing that all this stuff happens and we're not even aware of it. Precisely. Precisely. So yeah, the, the the French are a different, they're a different beast. A totally different beast. Not to yeah. mention the colonial tax. Yep. And like, how are you gonna go into somebody's country, colonize them, and then you give them independence, you tell them they have to pay you for their independence. Do you like do people understand how much of a psychological F up that is? I don't know if I can curse on your podcast. <laughs> we already like, broke that barrier yesterday. <laughs> that is like a colossal F up. You know, like, bro, imagine I come into your house, right? You live in this house, bro. I come into your house and I say, you know what? This house now belongs to me. Right? So I help you maybe paint the walls, right? I help you maybe fix the floor. And then I live there for 60 for a hundred plus years. Right, I'm taking stuff from your home. I'm collecting fees. I'm collecting whatever your house makes, and then I give you your independence. And I say you have to pay me for giving me your independence in your own house. 
you don't miss one part. It's like you give the independence, quote unquote, and then as you're leaving, you destroy the walls and the <laughs> floor. <laughs> Bro, I destroyed destroy the, the padlock so anybody can come and steal, right? And then I put in a maid who answers to me, like the, the presidents of them, those yeah. presidents. I put in a maid who only does what I say, who doesn't care about your well-being, doesn't clean the house, doesn't fix the walls, doesn't fix the door. All the maid does is whatever you cook, she takes it and sends it to me. You know? Pretty much. And then I say, you have to pay me taxes as well. Like, nobody else gets that. Nobody else understands that this is a colossal effort. Like, how? Who gave them the moral authority to it's, even, you know? Like, it's it's a very, if you think about it long enough, you really get upset. You're like, damn. It's very sinister. Like, even beyond that, the idea that a lot of these countries are still using francs, if I'm bro, mistaken. They're using francs, and Frank they have to Pepper. keep a portion of their reserve in French with, banks. In, in French banks. Like, it's so evil. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's geniusly evil. Geniusly is even a word. Like, who Bruh. came up with this? <laughs> now, this is the kind of thing, like, if I was playing Age of Empires or something. Bro, like, exactly. This is the kind of thing I would do to other... <laughs> Some evil shit. The kind of thing. That's that, how evil it is. Like, who came up with this? It's so evil, and they've brainwashed people so well that they don't see something wrong with it. Like a whole other country. And then they, they run the world. Like, you know, I don't want to, I don't get into conspiracy and stuff, but like the World Bank wouldn't recognize like a, cur- a currency from a, 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 the Congo, for example, if they create their own currency. Why? Yeah. Because it's led by the French, the Americans, the British, the Russians, the Chinese. And it's like, yeah. yo, who gave you that power? You know, like, who are you to determine what I do in my country? Like, it's it's some very you know inc- inc- incredible bullshit basically, <laughs> but that that's that's on that basically. I can't if I if I go too far, it just it becomes very upsetting. Like nobody can understand I, I, it. I, I, I can't get what you mean. It. I get a little bit of what you mean. A small portion of what you mean. Yeah, I don't mean. get. It makes no sense. But we live underneath it. It's it's something. <sighs> Unfortunately, it kind of makes sense. It's. Evil beyond evil, but without those colonies, like France is nothing without and those absolutely colonies. nothing. What was absolutely his name that said nothing. that again? Um, Jean, was it Jean Chirac? Or I think he used to be a former president of France. That said Africa has no place in world history. No, 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 not that. Oh. He said without without the French colonies, it's France was fighting to a third world power or some, something like that. He said absolutely. And it, he's absolutely it, right. They will be speaking German right now. <laughs> I could <laughs> have them colonies. Yeah, that that's that's a whole other topic by itself. <laughs> that's a whole other topic by itself. Yeah. Like you know, a lot of people don't know that African soldiers fought in the world wars. Man, a lot man. of people. I mean, if you really think about it, I think most people understand from a common sense point of view that okay, it's a world where they must have, but they don't know. Like they haven't when. When, you, when, you're, when you're taught world history in school, they tell you about all the Western Front and the Eastern Front in Europe. Yeah. They don't tell you about the Southern Front in Africa or none of that. They don't tell you that crap because they don't want you to learn that history. You know, history is won by is written by the victors, and in this case, Africans, even though they won the war, they were not the ones that were writing the history books because Africa fought this. The, you know, the world wars. They were part of it. They were you know intertwined. They don't tell you about the 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 fronts in Kenya in Ethiopia you know in northern africa they don't yeah. do all those things so 
But man, yeah, Northern, Northern Africa is mentioned a little bit, but they tend to focus on Patton and and yeah. what's his name, the German guy Rommel. They don't really go into any of the other stuff that the African soldiers actually did. But anyways, let's let's uh, yeah, let's we digress on the African topic. <laughs> we have we have to move away from the African topic. Yeah, with um going on to like uh, software development, like how how did you how did you get in into that? Like for people who don't know, I know some of that is mentioned in your article. Um, if if I was like if I was fifteen, a fifteen year old right now, I'm in high school or whatever, or maybe I'm twenty and I'm in college, whatever, and I wanted to get into software development. Like you first, you can tell us like how you got started, and then give like a short blueprint like what would you advise for somebody that wants to get started yeah man absolutely <laughs> it's a huge jump from talking about african problems to solve <laughs> but hey they're all intertwined all right because if you understand kind of what i do you understand why i work on Okwaji and stuff but i got into software development back in 2015 it was my sophomore year in college uh you know i, I had always been like one of those smart kids in high school. I got to college, paid for by scholarships and financial aid. And so I didn't really spend money on my undergrad. But my first year, I did pretty well. I should say my first semester in college, I did very well. I was in the top 2% of the class. You know, I was killing it with my grades. But, you know, getting into my second and third semester, you know, some stuff happened, personal stuff, and I was going through it. And my grades were tanking to the point where, like, my advisor was like, hey, you are about to go on academic probation. You need to like figure this out quick, you know? So I went ahead and w- took academic probation over staying for an extra, because if I had not taken the academic probation, I would have been uh, put on like leave if I didn't do well the next semester. So I took the academic probation for a semester. So, you know, but being me, I couldn't really just like stay down, you know? Yeah. So... I decided to take some classes at community college, like philosophy classes and stuff. While I was doing that, I was also working at Whataburger, you know? So I was working at Whataburger, working at Whataburger. And out of chance, one of my best friends in high school messages me. He's like, hey, uh, there's this lady. She needs a website. I don't know if you build websites or not, but you're really good with computers. So I was like, maybe you do. So I give her your information. So she calls me and I didn't know how to program at this point. Uh, but I, I mean, I was pretty good at just planning stuff out and business planning and strategizing. So I met this lady. Uh, her name was Jennifer. I met her up at her house and, you know, we're talking about her business and I'm working on a website, which at this point was just a normal drag and drop, like Wix type website. Yeah. So, those. <laughs> so I'm helping her work on it, work on it, work on it. And, you know, she's paying me here and there. And she's, she was very nice. And she was like pushing me like, man, you're really good at this. You should start a business. So I was like, you know what? Why not? So, I, you know, I registered my first company, which was called Gibble, G-Y-B-O-L, Get Your Business Online, you know? <laughs> so Simple and straight to the point. Straight to the point. So I started, like, programming a little bit, you know, in HTML and CSS, which is not really programming. So, I, you know, I picked up JavaScript, which is more like actual programming. And I was enjoying it, man, like just writing a piece of code on a notepad text, te- uh, text file and seeing it show up on on a browser was pretty, pretty cool. And at the time I was studying like microbiology, genetic engineering. So I started kind of seeing parallels between the human body and computer programming because you're just giving instructions, just like DNA gives our body instructions. So I started going to Barnes and Noble, 
reading programming books, watching YouTube videos. And that's pretty much how I got into software development, just kind of that whole journey. I remember I picked up my very first client for a website. It was like a $15,000 website. And I oh, built wow. it. Yeah, I built it in like three months. And I was like, God, I can actually make money out of this thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, so I just, I kept pushing it. I kept pushing it. I learned uh, server-side scripting with PHP. And then I got into C Sharp, building my very first access database. And then I just kept going. Then I learned Java. I learned Python. And right now I'm actually a, 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 soft, a PHP developer for an energy consulting firm. So that's how I got into software development, just self-teaching, YouTube, books. I used to like go to Barnes & Noble, open up a book, read it, and take a picture of where I left off because I couldn't <laughs> afford the book, you know? My account, be, <laughs> my account would be an overdraft literally like that whole week. And, and like, bro, it was, it was tough because I was also like, this is like depression territory. You know, I like to think of myself like I will never get depressed. But at that point, I can kind of see I might have been depressed because my brain was like on overtime working, trying to figure out how I can get out of this hole, you know, and being, yeah. an, being an African man, you know, you can't really show weakness, you know? We've all been there where you really can't show weakness. You have to be strong the whole time. And so I kind of persevered through that. And through running my own business, you know, my web development business, I started learning about money, just learning how money works. And then that, that opened up a whole world for me. You know, investments, real estate, all started from me just learning how to be a software developer. Because at that point, I had to be my own accountant. I had to be my own lawyer. I had to be my own business consultant. So those kind of skills broaden my view and in getting into investments and stuff. So, but yeah, for, yeah, for anybody trying to get into software development right now, for a 15 year old, I'd say my route was pretty easy in a sense, like just find a passion in it, find a use in it, right? Don't necessarily do it for the money, but do it because you actually like it. Learn how to program. Learning how to program is pretty easy. I think the human brain is wired to be a programmer. And so open up a book, learn, you know, learn about functions, methods. You take your normal daily task. One of my very first projects was like a human, create a human being, right? Human being with, with functions. So the human being sleeps, wakes up, drinks, eats, pees, poops, uh, walks, runs. And so I created a human being that had all those functions. And then I said in the morning when it's, you know, I'll, I'll run a script. If the time says 12 a.m., or sorry, 12 p.m., eat lunch. So I'll run the eat lunch method. So it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. You just kind of have to yeah. find a passion in it. And then for a 20-year-old who's in college, I would say pick a field in it, right? Software engineering might be a little bit far off because I'm not a, I don't have a bachelor's or a master's degree in software development or software engineering. So most of my work comes from experience. And in my opinion, experience always trumps a bachelor's degree anytime, especially in the software development world. You yeah. know? So, but if you're a 20-year-old, don't be afraid to like not only you know take your software engineering classes, but don't just let that be the only thing you do that's software related, software engineering related, you know? Like yeah. on your own time, do small projects, even if they're not going to be used anywhere. Build uh, a to-do list application, build a uh, you know, I don't know, uh, a simple API application. Join a startup that might not pay you nothing. You know, that might pay you 
$0 or $10 here and there, but join it and build a product because that shows your experience and you will get much better at it than somebody who just goes to class, does the, the assignments and then calls it a day. I've yeah. seen, I've seen that play out so many times. People that have a bachelor's degree in software development that have the hardest times finding a job because all they did was do assignments. They never yeah, built I think that. Yeah, go on. Yeah, they never built like a a real world application, you know? In that limit. Yeah. I think that's what separates like people who are getting started from learning from people who go the whole nine yards and actually get really good at it, finding projects to do. Cause I remember that happened to me at some point too. Like I got started with Python. I learned how to use the functions, the the loops, the everything, functions, loops, methods, all of that stuff. And at some point it was like, okay, um, now what? What do I what, what do, do I, I do, do with now? this? <laughs> <laughs> like every now and then I'll think of some small project and be like, okay, I'll do this, I'll make a wedding list or something like that. And you can add or remove yourself from the list, that kind of thing. But it wasn't until I really got into um, networking and I started to find other applications that actually interested me. Like um, something that's really big in networking now is network automation. A lot of people are using Python mm -hmm. to basically push commands to routers and switches. Like you can go on a router and you can type the commands in, put in the configuration you want. But what happens when you have a thousand routers on your network? Like mm. nobody's, nobody's, I mean, some people still do that. Some people still do that stuff. It's ridiculous. But automation is getting rid of that. It's basically, I don't want to say it's taking people's jobs because somebody has to create those scripts, I guess. But it's basically changed the way things are done. You're pushing all these configs at once to thousands of devices on your network, for instance. So yeah. that, that really got raised my interest in Python again. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. This this is something I can actually use for, I mean, not that there weren't purposes or uses for Python before, but my challenge was always finding a project that actually interested me instead of uh, building wedding lists for imaginary weddings. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. you said, like the important thing is for somebody to find, there's always something, there's something in your life right now mm -hmm. that you can made with python like sometimes even at work i work with uh, um what is it json files like we we're getting automated scripts um sometimes they spit out json files and the other guys at work i'm gonna assume that they don't know any programming i don't know but i'm assuming that so sometimes you get the json file and it's like this long list of information showing if um the servers we work with still are still in warranty or whatever. And sometimes they're like going one by one by one by one to take this information and put it into Excel file, take this information, put it in Excel file. And one day I was like, huh, there has to be a faster way to do this. And I just searched online, did some research and was able to write some Python code to take it from JSON to CSV directly and create mm -hmm. a CSV file for me. And the, here's the interesting part. Like I showed these guys, hey, look, look at this, like, look at this uh, stuff. I mean, my code is not the most elegant, so I'm going to be honest. <laughs> like, instead of just being able to do what you want, like, you would either have to, like, navigate to the directory or you would have to put in the whole path of the JSON file in order for it to work. That was how I wrote it, and I didn't really care to go any deeper than that. I thought that was, that was well enough for what I wanted to do. But I showed them, like, hey, you don't have to do this shit. You don't have to do this stuff anymore. Like, look look at this stuff. You can just run it and put the path and and you're like, oh yeah, cool, whatever. And they still went back to doing what they wanted to do 
what they've been doing anyways. And it was just like, it just opened my eyes to something like some people really don't necessarily care about doing some, some things more efficiently. Like for them, as long as they're at work, they, they work their eight hours, they do what they're supposed to do to some level and they collect their paycheck. They're fine. Yep. Like really, yep. they don't care about making it more efficient. And maybe that's part of what's standing in some people's way of, finding these projects that you can basically use to get better, use as a stepping stone to get better. Yeah, that's that's precisely it. You know, there's a saying, give the laziest man the hardest job because they will find the ba- the best and most efficient way to do it. You know? Yeah, I heard, I heard that from Bill Gates. I don't know if he plagiarized <laughs> or not. No, I mean, I'm sure it's probably somebody said, there's a, it's probably Bill Gates or somebody or Warren Buffett, one of those people, right? And and I agree with that because like I think I'm the most la- I'm the laziest, the most hardworking person I know. You know, like I work hard, I work, I do a lot of things, but I think it's because I'm lazy and I find the easiest ways to do them and I automate them and and yeah. I make them more efficient. So yeah, uh, I completely understand that. I think I'm very similar too because this is one issue my mom and I always like we always butt heads over this <laughs> issue because I'm very very. I won't even say that I'm lazy, even though some people might say I'm lazy. I won't even say that. What I'll say is I hate doing thing, things inefficiently. Like, I, there's nothing that irks me more than having to do something in the most inefficient manner possible. Like, when there's a much, much more efficient way to do it. And this is like, my mom is kind of like a do it my way or we don't do it at all kind of person. <laughs> that, that's what causes the, the friction. Like, sometimes I'm like, but we could do it like, we could do it like this and get it done in 30 minutes. But her from from her point of view, it's like, why are you being lazy? Like, just do it. <laughs> but, you know, I think it was Burna Boy that said it, right? I, no, it, I think it was Filakuti. It says, African people smile in, in what? In, uh, what was it? In suffering. <sighs> in suffering. Yeah, suffering and smiling. We, we want to find the hardest. Like, for some reason, we must suffer. To do something, <laughs> I've ever, I've ever realized that. Like when, when I was your age, going to school, yeah, like, like why must I walk to school else? with <laughs> while it's raining without an umbrella? Why is that an epitome <laughs> of of me being successful? You know, you don't see white people saying, "Oh, when I was young, I was climbing mountains to make it to my school." No, <laughs> but us, we have to suffer. So. I think there's something about life that they kind of misconstrue, and um, yeah, I don't know. At my young age, maybe that sounds a little bit uh, smacks of hubris a little bit, but I think it's in life you need you need struggle to grow. But I think they misconstrue struggle for suffering. I don't think they're necessarily the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like you can, mm-hmm. you as a PHP developer right now, you can sit in your home office at home working on a very tough problem that you're trying to mm-hmm. do for some innovation in your office. Mm-hmm. And that's a form of struggle. Like you don't need, Indeed. you don't need somebody flogging you. Exactly. You don't need that. That's physical suffering for it to be struggle. Like yeah, the I, mental I, challenge alone is a I, form I, of struggle. I, it's I, a better form of struggle even. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Like they, they want suffrage to be pro- no, not suffrage. Suffrage is a good thing. They want suffering to be part of the struggle. You know? Suffrage is a good thing. <laughs> suffrage, suffrage, suffrage is yeah, yeah, I know. I know, I know. I heard what you said. That's funny. Like, oh no, I hope they don't think I'm saying suffering. <laughs> yeah, suffrage is a good thing. Suffering is not a good thing. <laughs> For my 10-year-olds listening, you know. 
Because <laughs> I know when I was young, I used to have a problem with those two words. What do you mean, women's suffrage? You know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, what, was, what was your first language? Was your first language French? Technically, my first language was my tribal languages, but my yeah. first, like, national and international language of, like, education and learning was French. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that would that would explain why you. I mean, I, that, not necessarily. So even some English speakers have trouble with that. English is yeah. not the most uh, intuitive language ever. <laughs> fun fact. Fun fact. <laughs> English is highly influenced by French because England was at some point conquered by the French. So, as a person that loves, I love English history. I will take slight uh, offense. <laughs> well, that, well I mean, guess what? They're conquered by Normandy. Not hey, so. Hey. What do what do, <laughs> what does Normandy speak? The Duke of Normandy conquered yeah. England. Uh-huh. What did they speak? What did they speak in English history? I mean, I guess they spoke, <laughs> they spoke the dialect of French. Uh-huh. They spoke the dialect of French. But yeah, English is heavily influenced by French and Latin and Danish, French, yeah. Danish, Latin, Latin. So there's a mishmash of stuff. Inside yeah. of English, you should have seen me when I first came to the U.S. learning English, man. I was like, "You guys are spelling color wrong," but <laughs> yeah. but they are spelling color wrong. It still it still disturbs me to this very day. <laughs> like in England or Nigeria, for instance, we would spell color with the U, yeah, like C O L O U R. Whereas here, it's, it took me the longest time to get used to that. It's man, I, all I, kinds I still of spell color it. center. Say again. I still spell it C O L O U R, bro. Yeah, I, something I that for a day. Yeah, I will wait for a day that a teacher will come and correct me. I'll be like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh god. Like there's all sorts of words like that. And and I wonder, is it like did somebody just think this is just too difficult? Let me spell it that way, or yeah, I don't know, like I don't want to be anything like it's like it's mother nation, you know. They decided to write to drive on the right side of the street instead of the left side. You know, they really wanted to spite the British. In everything, yeah, tea and <laughs> coffee and yeah, everything. I, I wonder if they were all intentional. Like even words like aluminum, for instance, like they change the spelling. It's like somebody thought, nah, that's too, that's too confusing. Yeah, There's gonna that, change. That, that's too much. But we'll we'll leave sodium and all the others. Yeah, and that. and magnesium and just, I don't know, weird, weird stuff. Yeah, that's that's English for you, man. That's American English and British English. So the Queen. Yeah, English. funny thing. I don't even know what my first language was. I'm not sure if it was my tribal language or if it was English. Because when I was, um, I know when I was as little as two, I could speak both of them. But I don't know which one I learned first. And Now I'm much better at speaking English. I mean, my accent is not that good in my tribal language. I speak it, but my accent is not the best because um, it's not a lot of people to talk to these days. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's a very interesting topic. I really do, do not know. Which was my first language? Yeah, now nah, my first was definitely my tribal language because when I was born, I was born during the Congolese, it like the tail end ish of the Congolese civil war. Not really the tail end, honestly. March was not the tail end, but I was born during the Congolese, one of the Congolese civil wars. And so, while I, my parents had to leave the city and go to the village, so I grew up in the village, and mm. you know, I was speaking the tribal languages. I was speaking my dad's tribal language, my mom's tribal language. And then, so as you know, as a two-year-old, I was speaking two languages already. And then I moved to the city when I was five years old. That's when I learned the the national language of the Congo, which is Lingala, not even French, because I was even I didn't even speak Lingala first. 
I spoke the tribal languages. Then I got to the city. That's when I started speaking Lingala, started learning Lingala. And then I started school the same year I got to the to the city, which I was like five. I might be like four years old. It was towards my fifth birthday. So I started school and that's when I started learning French as well. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah. So this Lingala, is it like a language from one of the tribes or how does that work? I know in Ghana, they have a similar, and if you're a Ghanaian, please don't shoot me. I, I, it's my understanding <laughs> that uh, Tui is like the official Ghanaian native language, but it's not, there are other languages. It's not the only one. So yeah. I don't know if it's like a similar thing happening. It's almost a similar thing. Lingala is, so like Lingala is actually very similar to Swahili. Most people don't really know know, it, know that, but like the way Swahili is to Kenyans and like some other Congolese people on the uh, northeast side of the Democratic Republic of Congo, that's how Lingala yeah. is. Because Lingala is actually technically an international language because my Congo speaks Lingala, the other and Congo the other speaks Congo. Lingala. <laughs> and the reason why it's because it comes from the dialects of the Bantu people, right? Like Kikongo and all of these other tribal languages. And so Lingala spawns from that. Huh, and so, so yeah, so the they have the same proto language. Yep, and so we can actually communicate with them. That's why, like, that line of division between the two Congos is very problematic, because there's a group of people that are the same people that they decided to cut in half. Yeah. So I think the same thing happened all over. Like, uh, yeah. if I'm not uh, wrong, the same thing happened with Yoruba people. I think in Republic of Benin, there are people just on the other side of the border who speak, who speak the language as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's it's a whole mess. It's a yeah. whole mess. So when I got to the city, that's when I learned Lingala and French. And then from there, when I came to the U.S., this is where I learned English. And I started, I, I try to teach myself German. Needless to say, it didn't work out as well. But I know a little bit. I can carry a small how are you doing conversation and what have you been up to conversation. And then I also try to teach myself like Portuguese and Italian and and uh, Spanish. I can understand a lot more Spanish than than like basically I can listen to a conversation in Spanish and know what they're talking about, but I can't answer it back. Hmm. So, so you speak you speak at least five languages, right? Yes, now, by my count, yes. You speak mm-hmm. five languages well, mm-hmm. not counting so, the other ones that you have. Yeah, fluently, not counting the other ones that you have uh, some uh, intermediate experience in. Pretty much pretty much yeah spanish spanish is kind of uh simple i feel like i can i can understand spanish conversations when they're not talking too fast <laughs> but when they get to talking fast it's like i can't even decipher what's what's going on anymore yeah very true very true. it's one of those things where you need more uh speaking experience i need to go to i don't know go, where would i even go maybe colombia or something and just leave myself there for two months you jump you jump the whole country of mexico you go straight to colombia yeah because i have a i have a i have a preference for certain kinds of spanish like, oh. i love i love colombian spanish I I kind of like the Spanish spoken in Spain, but I think I prefer Colombian Spanish to that one and um, the Mexican Spanish. Like I don't know if you've seen. Um, obviously, you've seen Narcos. You must have seen. Narcos. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> like if you watch Narcos and you watch Narcos Mexico, there's a difference. I don't yeah. know if you've ever known. There's yeah, a difference. Yeah, the like, the Colombian mean, Spanish is just so much more. I don't I don't even know what word to use. Like there's <laughs> much more flair to it. Maybe that's the word. So what more flair to it? Okay, okay, that's that's cool. That's understandable. But yeah, man, yeah. that's 
that's kind of how how them languages have worked. But yeah, I picked up English pretty quick when I came to the U.S. I was 12 years old, and like within three months, I was speaking the language. Wow. I think that some of that experience from learning, it definitely does. I think that, that experience from learning previous languages, yeah, I, like every I, additional language is easier than the last to pick up. I agree. I agree. Yeah, there's some uh, brain chemistry or brain wiring involved with that. But um, anyways, we're approaching we're approaching one hour pretty fast here. Um, do you want to, anything else that you're working on you want to share before we uh, head up? I mean, obviously we're working on Schooler Club. I don't know if the audience knows Schooler Club, but no. <laughs> check it out. They've not been introduced yet. Yeah, they will be introduced some other time, but Schooler Club is, is obviously on the list. Uh, I'm working on Ukwaji, as, as I said. I'm also working on something that if any of your listeners are like Laravel developers and PHP developers, they can hit me up on. It's a platform for African youth uh, political parties. So uh, I can I can oh, tell. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Yeah, I can't say all the details, but basically, it's a platform that allows all African youth, not just Nigerian, not just Ghanaian, not just Congolese, to basically go on a platform, sign up with their countries of origin. And then be able to like connect politically, make their political voice heard as a diaspora to make changes into the country and maybe select their own delegates to run in these countries. Yeah. So that's gonna be so kind kind of a pan-African party. Exactly. Exactly. So the, the name is the Youth Political Parties of Africa. And then obviously you have the youth political parties of Nigeria, youth political parties of Ghana, youth political parties of Congo, right? But the platform is the youth political parties of Africa because the African Union is useless. As it's say. more than useless, it's almost detrimental, even <laughs> honestly, you know. So it seems to be useless. So I'm basically trying to create an African African Union that's digital, that knows no boundaries, and it's the youth that are leading it. So makes sense. Makes sense. Like that's that's a very interesting project. That's a very interesting project. Where do you find, uh, where do you tend to find partners for these uh, Pan-African projects? Uh, I mean, I usually don't find partners to work with it. I usually, I mean, if I don't get anybody to help me create the platform or any of that, I just use my network, my LinkedIn. You can see some of my networks on my LinkedIn, but I try to yeah. connect with some innovative African people. Uh, there's this man that I met in December last year in, in New York. His name was Chike Ukwegu. He was literally the young, the youngest political uh the youngest person to run for presidency in 2014, 2015 in Nigeria when Buhari won. won. Really? Yeah, and not that many people, like, if I asked you, wouldn't know who he was. Nope, imagine, never heard of him. Now imagine when he was doing his campaign, if we had this type of platform, and he could have yeah. to us as the youth of Nigeria, the youth of Africa, you know? And that would have been a good time, too. 2015 would have been a good time. Exactly. For that. So, like, but now is now is an even better time. Twenty twenty three will be an even better time. Those are the type of people that I c- connect with and contact to kind of get get them onto on the project and get stuff done. But most of the times, I don't really find other software developers that have the passion to use their skills to to actually make change. Some of them just they just want to get paid, you know. Like, and I don't blame yeah. them to each their own, right? But they if they're not getting paid, they don't want to do it, you know. Yeah. So. I was even going to ask you, like, thing, this reminds me. There's this guy. He's actually Congolese, too. His name is uh, Hamish Ganga, I believe. Have you ever heard of him? No. 
I found him on Instagram. He's really into like uh, African initiative stuff mm-hmm. and empowerment, that kind of thing. Um, I thought he was one you were going to mention, actually, because he lives in New York. So I was like, oh, wow, you actually I thought that's who you were about to mention. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's uh, he's actually somewhat involved with, I don't know if you've heard about this um, Wakanda City project that they're building in or planning to build in Ghana. It's supposed to be like a city for the return that they've been working on doing in Ghana for uh, descendants of African um, slaves to return to the African continent. So he he's involved in a whole bunch of stuff like that. Uh, he's involved in finance as well. He's always basically looking for stuff to do for the community. Very interesting guy. You should look him up on, on Instagram. Okay, I'll definitely do that. I might even hit him up because that's, that's interesting to, to kind of... Because, I mean, the goal is to, to strengthen the African continent, the African youth, and the African people, because Africa is the foundation upon which the rest of the world is built. And I'm, I'm really interested in shaking that foundation. You know? Yeah, it's about time. Yeah. It's about time. It's shaking. Let me see if I can find his, uh, find his handle here. He's, his page is really interesting. I thought for sure you would know him because he's Congolese. Yeah, his Instagram handle is um, Hamish Africa. It's or is it Hamish? I don't know. H a m i s h a. Well, Africa. H a m i s h Africa. Hopefully, everybody can spell Africa. <laughs> okay, Hamish Africa. I see him. I see him. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting guy. He's got there. That's cool. That's cool. But yeah, I'll definitely hit him up. All right, cool, cool. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on. This has been uh, very interesting. We'll have to dedicate another episode to um, uh, African politics and history, Pan African history, and all of that stuff. That that deserves at least one or two episodes. Absolutely, itself. Absolutely. It- and uh, this episode should be airing. I can't decide when to put it out yet because I'm going to put one out tomorrow morning. So. I don't know. Maybe next weekend I'll put this one out. Yeah, or, I, I, I recommend doing like a weekly episode. If yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, thanks for coming on, Jeff. This has been great. I'm sure uh, Kirsten has been uh, rubbing her hands like Rick Ross, ready to listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, told her, I told her we were going to record this today and she's been, she's been so excited about it. I'm sure she's, she's sitting next to her phone right now waiting for great it to come show. on. <laughs> that's awesome man that's awesome but yeah man i look forward to that to that next discussion pan africa bro because man i'm telling you on that one we can go five days talking about it so you know <laughs> we most likely will <laughs> we'll schedule it for sometime maybe like early december like I'm, i have a huge chunk of pto in december awesome so i'm definitely gonna have time for that maybe like the weekend of the 11th i'll let you i'll let you know though for sure absolutely absolutely man well thank you for having me man It was great. All right, bro. No problem. Thanks again. And have a good night. Thank you. You too, man.